0: Religion. It's given people hope in a world torn apart by religion. Great quote from Jon Stewart and a perfect segue into the episode for today. This is the Brave Dave podcast, and I am so happy that you're here. Let's get started. Hi there, and welcome to the very first episode. Here it is. This is where it all starts, folks. We're starting right here. I'm very happy to have you guys listening. Who went to vacation Bible school? It, 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 I mean, I know there's a lot of us out there who, uh, who went to church for the whole week and you, you would walk into the room and there's your church counselor and he's, he's in Bergenstocks and khakis and he's got like a poncho over and you're like, hey, you're the counselor for our school. He says, no, I'm, I'm Moses. I, I, child, I am Moses. And you're like, oh, my, my apologies. I didn't, my mistake. <laughs> you know, it was a good time. Uh, I actually really enjoyed vacation Bible school when I went. I was raised Christian uh, in a Christian family, and that you know I was never a huge fan of church. But one thing that I always really enjoyed was vacation Bible school. The snacks were always killer, and just the, the the atmosphere was always so intriguing to me that the whole church just basically turned into Jerusalem for a week. That was always an interesting concept to me. I remember growing up being in church. I never liked youth group or youth Bible. Study whatever they had for for people my age on Sunday um, that between the ages of nine and, and seventeen uh, where they would all gather in their you know youth based Sunday service rooms. Um, I really tried to avoid those. I did go to Sunday school, but I didn't mind Sunday school as much. That was more of just a daycare with emphasis on on religion. So I, it didn't really bother me because we still did a lot of fun things like coloring. Uh, but I remember. When I was old enough to actually do the youth stuff, um, I, I was very adamant that I wanted to be uh, in the main sermon instead. It just really intrigued me. I was always an older soul. You know, I got along with people that were older my age. And listening to the sermon, regardless of your opinion on religion, some of the teachings that they would provide there uh, were actually very applicable to the real life. And I really enjoyed those. I... I just hated the the teen and youth groups and and the and the teen services. There was an atmosphere there that was just really strange to me. It was it was not the same. It was it was more advanced than Sunday school, but it was so much different than what the sermons were like. And the other kids were fine. I really enjoyed, you know, making friends with the other kids. Uh, but there was something about being fully aware of why we were all there in the same room together, you know, as teenagers, realizing that we were there to learn about God, that felt very strange to me. It's something about the youth pastors that just bothered me. It's it's their positive attitude, but at the same time, they were like very demanding that the that the kids in the room understood what was happening. And I remember maybe it was because my parents, said, we were a religious family, but we didn't attend church every Sunday and every Wednesday, and you know all the things that they had to offer. So. I I think going in there, it's like they it's it's almost like get out like the movie, (laughs) like they they were very nice and happy. But it's like if they knew that you weren't up to speed, it's like, oh David. I can see you don't have a full comprehension of the chapter that we're discussing. So I'm going to highlight this aggressively in pink highlighter (laughs) and you better come back and, and have your shit together. Basically, is is the vibe that I was getting right it felt more like I was at like a a college to learn how to give proper sermons than it was to actually learn about Jesus. (laughs) And I I don't know the whole thing weirded me out. I was never a huge fan. I I remember I I would get in trouble, not necessarily trouble. They never said I was in trouble, but I knew that's what they were saying. Basically. Like I didn't, you know, have learned what I needed to have learned it to the principal's office with you. (laughs) Come back when you, when you have your passages memorized. But it was, you know, I enjoyed doing the sermons and that's what we did for a long time. You know, we went to church for a long time as a family and I I don't ever have a memory of of fully believing in what I was hearing or or even not believing for that matter. It's just I just remember kind of being there and appreciating what I was hearing and participating, but I I don't know if I ever fully subscribed or unsubscribed to what I was hearing. Yet yes, no, maybe whatever and I don't feel like a lot of people share this exact experience maybe they do and I just don't know but it's I feel like most people that I talk to were either adamantly in religion and then later uh, became not that way or they never believed and it was a very traumatic experience for them that they had to be involved in religion in the first place uh, but I don't talk to a lot of people that were just kind of like yeah I was just kind of there and <laughs> maybe that's a universal experience and I'm just you know un- unaware of it but I remember being that way for a long time uh, in the church um I remember the first moment of, of true questioning about what I believed and if, if this is what I was, you know, truly invested in was was after I, I found a YouTube video. And I leave it to the Internet, right? <laughs> Typical Internet takes another one <laughs> out of the house of God. Um, but it was a YouTube video that I found and it was called The Best Optical Illusion in the World. Um, and it was basically a uh, theory about a jug of milk. And a lot of people call it the, the jug of milk theory. So the video uh, basically describes prayer as an illusion that uh, praying to God uh, will result in an answer from God in the form of yes, no, and wait, Uh, but that these answers cover any possible avenue that anybody could ever pray for. So... Somebody could technically just as easily pray to a jug of milk and receive the same response. I could pray to a jug of milk for $1,000, and the jug of milk would say yes, no, or wait. And if I received $1,000, immediately the next day, the jug of milk answered my prayers. If I never got $1,000 in that specific amount, then the answer was no. But if I got $1,000 six months from now, then the answer was uh, wait, and then eventually yes. So regardless of the outcome, the jug of milk answered my prayer uh, accordingly. And you know, that concept was very intriguing to me because the initial logic behind it makes sense, right? Uh, And then they cited uh, some resources from scientific studies about how um, prayer in a controlled environment where some people were not prayed for, some people were prayed for, some people uh, may or may not have been prayed for, another group was told the results of their prayers, things of that matter. And then it didn't actually show any justifiable evidence that prayer, conscious or not, Would aid those people in healing, Uh, which I found very interesting because you you, you don't often hear about scientific studies specifically aimed towards things like the power of prayer, miraculous acts, things of that nature. And of course, this video was uploaded 15 years ago, and and it was met with extreme opposition. All kinds of articles and blogs and and stories were written about this article explaining how wrong uh, the concept is, that that the method behind praying to a jug of milk was not a legitimate claim um, to... God not existing, and there were you know multiple reasons you know things that you can't pray for selfish things right you can't pray for a thousand dollars and expect that God will you know give you a thousand dollars um you can't assume that God is going to appease man's curiosity just by answering prayers on a whim you can't test God you know you, you can't just throw out a test for God to perform and then expect him to dance for you. Uh, Prayer is meant to be fervent, consistent, and often it has to be true, legitimate prayer. And of course, the obvious one is the difference between the jug of milk and God is that God is real. (laughs) You know, that's that's, I feel like that's the the number one reason that they would provide. Well, praying to a jug of milk doesn't make any sense because God is real uh, and the jug of milk is not God. So, of course, these are all excellent reasons, of course, in the universe in which this is being discussed. Right. These are excellent reasons as to why the milk jug theory is flawed, uh, because it is in an argument where belief in God is an acceptable term to begin with anyway. I mean, if the if the philosophy behind God is considered acceptable, you know, in this situation, uh, then the, the logical reasoning uh, applied within the confines of God being real to begin with. Uh, is the situation. Well, that makes sense then, right? Um, uh, those reasons absolutely make sense. That video aside, that had me uh, start to question things. And that seems like such a negative thing when you say that you're questioning your faith, you're questioning the reality of God. You know, it definitely sounds like you're headed down a wrong direction, a wrong path, a negative direction. You know, oh no, he's losing God. Um, and of course, again, within the confines of, of God's actual existence, that would mean hell. So yeah, that what what I was doing was considered to be the start of a very bad thing. But for me, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a negative thing. And I I was young. Um, I was eleven years old at the time, um, and it, I wasn't angry at the concept that God might not be real, that Christianity might not, you know, be true, and the things that I had believed that might not have been true. It wasn't that. It was more just kind of this sense of relief because I had known that I had sort of an indifference. Um, to the church and the things that I was being taught, not not a resentment, no, just an indifference. Um, and I felt like there was something missing and it was kind of a relief to know, um, that there were other people that thought maybe this isn't uh, true as well. Right. Uh, It was a very neutral feeling. It was curiosity more than anything. You know, I had discovered a, a path of logical reasoning, uh, that I found interesting. Um, it hadn't really answered any questions for me, because even at 11, I understood that, you know, the only way that this jug of milk theory works is under the assumption that you have unwavering faith that there is no God, right? It's it's that it's that oppositional pool that they fight with all the time. Well, what if you're right? Well, what if I'm wrong? You know, that kind of thing. So it hadn't answered questions, uh, but it definitely created some. And I was perfectly fine with more questions. That was what I was after at that age. Uh, the feeling was... Um, scientific (laughs) you know I was like ah I've made a breakthrough I understand now and now I was on my own scientific journey for the answers to the cosmos (laughs) at 11 years old (laughs) Uh, and, and that path of curiosity didn't really lead me as I expected. Um, it wasn't a giant campaign of exploring faith where I would, you know, spend a week with every single faith imaginable. Um, it wasn't me directly jumping into atheism. Um, it was just me kind of muddling my way, you know, through discovery. And the whole memory is muddled, honestly, of, of, of leaving a a Christianic belief, at least considering that there might be something else. Um, and I, I wonder to myself all the time, why didn't I explore other religions? Um, it's not that I avoided them, uh, but I didn't seek them out either. And i I was aware that they existed, at least in some stereotypical sense. I knew that Buddhism existed, and I knew th- the shiny golden Buddha was out there as a kid. But I, you know, I just never sought out more. And granted, at the time, that was a period in my life where information was not readily available like it is now. Um, so I think that you know definitely had something to do with it. But most importantly, I think that after kind of questioning my faith and deciding that wasn't what I wanted to do, I wasn't really actively seeking another one. <laughs> you, know, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have a rebound, right? You don't get a rebound religion after you just broke up with your other one. <laughs> and I remember getting older and learning about these other religions, and I appreciated what they were saying. I appreciate the moral doctrines of all of these, you know, religions and, and trying to be a better person. But I never really believed on the whole what they were saying. And again, I think that's because having just decided that Christianity was not for me, the whole concept that you you just go play for another team, that seemed kind of out of the question to me at that point. You know, I, I felt like some of the philosophies and and ideologies and and theories that I had learned in regards to why I shouldn't be a Christian had had stemmed and bled over into the other religions that you know I was learning about, and I, I think because of that, that eventually uh, would. Would lead to me defining myself as an atheist. From there, it was uh, just kind of compounding onto that belief. Um, I saw Bill Mars, uh, Religious, which was a very entertaining movie for someone that doesn't believe in God. I think it definitely reinforced kind of my um, feelings towards organized religion, some of the cynicism that I had, but it didn't really strengthen the beliefs that I had. You know what I mean? Uh, Religious was not a movie that was based on a whole lot of substance. It was more just Bill Maher running around and ridiculing people for not being able to answer questions that nobody could answer. So I, you know, I understood what he was doing. And again, it was a very entertaining movie, especially for me in that time of (laughs) anti-discovery. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it, I wouldn't say that it was you know influential to me in any way, which was funny because a lot of atheists pretend that um, Religious was like their version of supersize Me, but it isn't. You know that that wasn't the case. It was it was a movie with a lot of cheap shots in it. And then of course you got into college, and then you know you meet a lot of people in college that are atheists, and they just kind of reinforce your opinions. But again, the whole concept of atheism it it didn't feel like I chose to not believe in anything. This felt more like. I chose not to to believe in Christianity, and that, again, pushed me into a new group. Well, if you don't believe in religion, then you're an atheist. That's what you are. And it felt very much like I was forced into that place. Uh, and the thought of just not knowing seemed incorrect. I don't know. The, the, the militant atheist mentality of nothing is real. And that's, that's it. We're not, you know what I mean? And I know that there's more to it than that. It's, it's about learning and discovery. And if I don't know yet, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but I'm not going to say it does just because I don't know. I understand that, but the, the, the the dogma behind it all seems incorrect to me. That didn't seem like what things should be. Can you see a pattern here? (laughs) Until that age, I didn't even know that atheism existed. I just thought people just had different religions and that was it. I didn't even know that agnosticism existed. And I, I feel that's what I eventually would fit into. And that was my Achilles heel in this whole journey was simply not seeking out knowledge, not being aware of of other things in the world. Uh, I just kind of waited for it to fall into my lap piece by piece. Uh, and that, that resulted in a very slow growth for me, um, spiritually, mentally. Just kind of waiting for information to hit me was not the best thing to have happen to me. And what's worse is that to realize that you don't belong somewhere but not put yourself somewhere else or the feel that you have to put yourself somewhere else. All of that uncertainty, it, it kind of came from all of these constant thoughts that I had pulling me in every direction. You know, like a lot of these religions share similar stories and events and timelines. Are they all the same? Is it like the great Pangea itself, where this all stems from one shared religion, and then after, you know, different cultures developed and went their different ways, they just kind of created their own uh, structure around the original concept? A lot of Egyptian mythology shares similarities to timelines and events uh, that occur in, in Christianity so is there a relation there is there a real deity that actually exists that all stemmed from one particular set of events and then those people went out to spread the word about it and then their stories became bastardized over time is religion all fake and those stories spread out and then changed over time but they're all based on nonsense is it is it aliens did did everyone experience aliens together at one point and then they created you know theocracies and religions based on those things I mean, for all we know, one religion can be correct and the rest of them are wrong. And the fight that everyone is fighting currently is the correct way to go. And it's just everybody's wrong except one religion. (sighs) I have no idea. Of course, you do have to consider the option that none of them are correct. And that I just have to learn to accept the peace of um, eventual non-existence. (laughs) One thing that's always um, crossed my mind is this concept of a of a spiritual resonance that exists in which we continue our energy in some way but never retain a form that would carry over the, the consciousness uh, from our previous life which i mean in, in theory is true right energy is uh, transferred not destroyed um so i mean scientifically that's what's happening um but more on a spiritual level is that also what's happening is you, your soul is going into another body right and there's plenty of religions that that share that uh belief that, I mean, that seems just as likely as any other theory, but clearly it's not a fan favorite because most religions would like to be able to capitalize on the returns from their own investments, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if we're going to go through all this trouble being good, I, I I would like to get a a nice retirement plan <laughs> at the end of it, right? But But of all of those scenarios, by far the one that I struggled with the most was the concept that I could be wrong, that one of them could be correct, and it would be one of the ones that resulted in hell for me. Um, and I, I struggled for a long time with that, not for the fear that I could be wrong, but that if I did determine the fear of a possible hell to be enough and I didn't want to go to hell and hell sounded horrible to me, how does one believe in something that they don't believe in? And I, I you know, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't know how to believe. And I'm sure that there's a million different, you know, people out there that would tell me, oh my gosh, Dave, if that's the case, I'm sure I can convince you. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Um, uh, what I'm saying is is that for a long time I struggled with the concept where I didn't want to go to hell if I was wrong, but my brain could not change itself to think that that was the truth. And the whole concept of hell, insurance, believing to not go to hell, um, is actually called Pascal's Wager, and it comes from a philosophy that was coined by Blaise Pascal, uh, in which the outcome of believing and being wrong... Is far less worse than not believing and being wrong, I mean believing and being wrong is just you know you just wasted your time with religion when you didn 't have to, but not believing and being wrong resulted in eternal damnation and burning forever um, so that was his theory is that you could you could simply believe uh, to avoid hell and that the outcome would be far less worse uh, if you were incorrect as a believer. And I think once I discovered that Pascal's Wager was a thing and and did a little bit of reading on it, I I think that's how I truly felt uh, being in a Christian environment as a child. I was never on board, per se, but it sure beat the alternative, um, (laughs) right? The problem with that being is that the Bible clearly says that you have to have true, fervent belief about what you are saying. Right, you can't just say it to avoid it, which which seems kind of messed up to me when you think about it. It's like he, he, even if you don't want to go to hell, you, your brain can't just switch like that. And that was something that I had to come to terms with that I that I did not believe in this ideology. I, I did not believe in Christianity, and for that, if I was wrong, I would go to hell, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I think that concept made me more resentful than anything else. That. You know, through everything that I'm trying to learn and everything I'm trying to experience, uh, that if I was wrong, I would go to hell, and there was nothing I could do to fix it. And on top of it all, w- was this God and Satan fighting for my soul? All of these, you know, conflicting thoughts that I have—was it them trying to guide me on a path of temptation versus non-temptation? Was just just my human brain doing what it does best, which is over-analyzing to the point that it may spontaneously combust. <laughs> I mean, nobody could know, right? Nobody can know if, if this was spiritual workings or, or just mental workings. And of course, atheists would tell you that this was all part of your brain. It was normal science and people of religion would tell you that this was a fight for your soul, but nobody ever knows. No one actually knows. This was my struggle for a long time. Um, I wish that I could say that my journey through spiritualism and, and discovering things was, was a lot less rocky and more enjoyable and more insightful, uh, but it just wasn't, you know, it was something that I struggled with for a long time. Um, science versus religion versus everything else. But uh, years later, I ended up joining AA. And going into AA, you don't think that spirituality is going to be a part of what you're doing. <clears throat> it's something that you kind of discover. Guess what? We, we do spirituality here. <laughs> and I discovered the defining difference between religion and spirituality uh, there. It was something that I really needed, something that I desperately needed in my life. I think it's what I was truly feeling. Correction, it's what I wanted to feel. Uh, I had no ideas about what was happening in the grand scheme of things. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I knew that I didn't know anything, but the fear of not knowing um, was getting the best of me. Um, but being an AA and acknowledging that there was something bigger than us that has to exist. Uh, Not any one defined item, not a deity, not anything with rules and regulations or written word or even something that we could even begin to understand. Uh, Just something, just acknowledgement that the cosmos around us is larger than we are. And I think the largest difference between that and agnosticism is that it's an identified sense of spiritual belief of of some kind, whereas agnostics aren't placing bets anywhere, they're saying, could be right, could be wrong, I don't know, don't ask me questions, it, things just are the way that they are. But that became my dogma, uh, what I had felt I had truly resonated with all of my life, and what I had truly believed and appreciated, was something had to be out there. I have no idea what, I doubt we will ever even come close to knowing, anytime soon anyway, but to pretend that I could know what, that would be foolish. To pretend that I, you know, would have a a set of rules from this larger force or that it was even a singular force at all. Um, To pretend that I as a human being, a a tiny speck in the grand scheme of things, uh, could begin to understand what it might be that would be foolish. I do not need religion to tell me how to be a good person or to tell me the way things are just because somebody wrote in a book about it, and I don't need science to tell me what does or doesn't exist just because they haven't discovered it yet. And if science has taught me anything, it's that for all that exists within the cosmos, all that has been and will be, even if a human being's three-dimensional life may start and end with dirt, nothing beyond that is actually for certain. All right, guys, this is it. It's the end of the very first episode of the Brave Dave podcast. Thank you for hanging around and listening and chatting with me. Uh, Feel free to check me out on social media, brave.dave for TikTok, brave.dave.official for Instagram. And you can find me, uh, brave.dave on YouTube for our brand new comedy show that we're doing once a week as well. Thanks again so much for listening. Whoever you are, wherever you're listening from, let's do something brave today.